Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Brooke Shields began her accomplished professional career at only 11 months of age, when she was selected as the Ivory Snow Baby. At age nine, she began her extensive film career when she won her first acting role in Alice Sweet Alice. And the roles just kept coming after that. Pretty Baby, Blue Lagoon, and Endless Love. As a model, Brooke has graced the covers of hundreds of magazines, most notably Time Magazine, as the face of the 80s. Today, Shields continues her prolific appearances in a broad range of worldwide publications. Most recently, Brooke Shields introduced Beginning Is Now, which is a digital platform and brand that provides an authentic, community-driven, 360 holistic approach to wellness products, resources, and information for women over 40. One in four women in the United States is over 40 years old, yet 70% of women over 40 feel ignored by marketers. Beginning is Now is a place to belong, to be energized, to have your voice heard, and to learn from each other and laugh with each other, and to share truthful, real conversation. Take care of your mind and body so it can take care of you. Every moment is a chance to begin again. Hi, everyone. It's Brooke here, and I'm totally excited because we have as our guest today the absolutely wonderful, hilarious Katie Nara. She's the she's a creator, a writer. She's a host behind the podcast, Been Better, How About You, which tackles mental health in such a relatable and personal way. It's just, it speaks to you. It speaks to me. It's so important. We love it. There's so many things that I want to dig into here, and then we're actually going to turn the tables, and she's going to be able to ask me some some questions about my whole adventure with mental health. So let's just say we all have a, a lot to talk about and a lot to say. So we just have to get started. So Katie, first of all, thank you so, so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I, I love your intro to your podcast. I love your entire platform. But for people who maybe are not aware of it yet, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I... I guess I could say before the pandemic, I, my main focus was acting and writing and I did have a clothing line that was like between 2007 to 2018, Simone. Um, in 2018, it was, became more of an athleisure line by the name of Nara Simone, which we still will make custom leather jackets. So I've always been a creative jack of all trades, I guess you know, when the pandemic happened, I realized how unhappy I was still going on these auditions and, and sort of giving so much of myself and receiving like such little back. Nothing. How about nothing? Yeah. How about zero? Was yeah, how about zero? And then, and then feeling worse about yourself by something else they've yeah. said. And so it just, I just was like, I don't know why I'm doing this, giving like blood, sweat and tears and people are either 
on the phone, not paying attention, or, you know, sometimes you'd be, I'd, I'd be waiting at an audition and you'd hear someone yell like, well, are we going to get so-and-so for this anyway? And then they'd be like, okay, come on in. You know I mean? Just, oh, it's, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but it's, oh. uh, it's, it's interesting because I, I started horseback riding a lot during the pandemic. And one of my riding trainers was like, you're really good under pressure. And I was like, if you knew half of the things I've had to do publicly in a room, which I'm sure you can relate to, like, just like with 10 men staring at you in a small room and you like have to, that sounds really weird, but anyway. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like on the phone or, or asleep. (laughs) Yeah. And and you're just like, wow. Okay. Because they focus. That's interesting though about horseback riding, because in my history of horseback riding, the scarier the situation for instance, like, you know, in ravine, down ravines or up, you know, wherever or something gets spooked, I get really focused and centered and calm. But you, you talk so much about how important mental health is, and we'll jump into that. But what's so interesting is if you, you have very beautifully, openly talked about struggling with depression your whole life and the importance of humor and all that, and yet and I, I have empathy and, and associate myself within that realm, we are in the worst possible business to be in for self-esteem. Yeah. And you're spending your life going, oh, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me, please, 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 please. And, and oh, I'm not, I'm, I didn't get invited to the party again. You know, and oh, I'm, I'm, you're, it's never what you are. It's always what you're not. So, you know, you're not, you're not blonde enough. You're not tall enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not, you know, voluptuous enough. You're not European looking enough. You're, you're not really, it's all based on starting with negativity. How did that affect the way you pivoted and your choices? And how, what did you say to yourself? Did you say that I don't want to feel this way anymore? I'm going to find a way to find a way to be happy and healthy in what I want to do. I think I just started to feel valueless and it was really scary then starting this podcast because my psychiatrist and I talk about this a lot I would always try to hide all my mental health issues and I got to a really dark place in 2019 where I did contemplate suicide and it and I just felt like I wanted to share all this knowledge and information that I've gathered over the years because I've been in therapy since I was five I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of great people and do a lot of different treatments and experimental treatments. And I think one thing to really, that people forget, and that is really hard when you're in a spiral of depression is that there's always another day, like there's tomorrow. And I know that, especially now for the teenagers, you know, male, female, trans, it's really hard being, uh, I can't imagine growing up today as a teenager, like you said, in a pandemic, and now there's, you know, the, then what's happening in Ukraine, and there's just so much going on, and especially for really deep feeling people, I think it's really hard, and I, I think, um, I think people blame themselves a lot, or, or parents can blame themselves a lot, because if their kid is, is really depressed, or ends up acting out, and I, I think it's hard sometimes to tell what's going on. Did you, when you say you started therapy at five, did your parents, see something in, in, in this little five-year-old that, that yeah. made them say, oh, we're not sure we know how to approach this. 
When I was five, I, I had really severe, I feel like now everybody has ADHD, but I had really severe ADHD where I was constantly, like I couldn't sit still. I'd be acting out in class and I was just a really hyperactive kid. And so my parents, my dad, even though he's in business, his family is all of the OBGYN. His dad is an OBGYN and his brother. So they come, he comes from a medical background. And I think that is the answer. And I'm not saying that's the answer for everyone, but to, to him and my mom, they thought, oh, we should get, have her see a psychiatrist. And I hated it. not immediately give you Ritalin or, or something like that. Did no. they? So it no, wasn't I just did, about medication. I did go on Ritalin very young. But it helps me. And that's, I think that that's the, I think there's a really fine balance between everybody wanting to diagnose a, a child and not going through the steps to say, a psych, psychiatrist, psychologist, psychotherapist, let's try to understand where it's coming from rather than immediately medicating them. Now, I, I come from a place of medication saved my life. So I am not, this isn't against that. I just also... Even with opioids, how quickly and how easy it is for them to just give you a script and 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 refills and without ever really sort of taking into consideration. So that's a really interesting thing that your parents felt confident enough to say, we would like to know more about this and have outside you know help or perspective, you know. Now, because you're five, would you go in with your mom? Probably the first time. And then also like therapist, like I would come in and just throw my book bag and refuse to speak to him. (laughs) We were talking about this earlier today, you know, finding a therapist, finding proper medication is not just a one-time deal. Nothing's magic. It's like dating, you know. That's what I always say. You're not gonna meet like Prince Charming tomorrow. I mean, maybe you get lucky, but I think it takes a long time to find a good therapist and you can't expect miracles overnight with therapy. You brought it up before you said people are, they're ashamed of having depression because depression is something you're supposed to just get out, snap out of, you know, just, just get over it, you know, just put a smile on your face. What do you want people to know about mental illness? How can we reverse the stigma of it and the shame surrounding it? It's gotten a little better where people, in a way, the pandemic, one of the good things that's come out of it is people are more aware of depression, anxiety, OCD, bipolar, and and mental illness. But it still is, I mean, this happened yesterday. I I went to this doctor just for something else. He's not a psychiatrist or, you know, I had to, you have to write down what you're on. And he read out each prescription and he was like, oh, so why are you on this right now and that? And then he's like, that's so funny because you don't seem depressed. I guess these are working. And like, I know he was just trying to relate to me, but like, I almost started crying. I also have my period right now. So I just was like, yeah, I've gotten to the point where I know so many people that don't have any experience with anyone that has had mental illness or, or they just, you know, I, I know people too sometimes just say silly things when they're uncomfortable. I just think people say like stupid stuff because they're trying to be consoling and maybe it's, it's better. I think to just maybe either not say anything or say like, that must be really hard. I've really gone to, I'm so sorry you're experiencing this. Yeah. 
I, I, I just, I wish it wasn't true for you. Like, yeah. you know, or when someone passes away, you know, to say, oh, they're in a better place. Shut up. I know. Yeah. Or, or like at least they're out of, and you're like, oh God, they're, but people don't know. And I think how we talk about mental health mental illness, depression, all of those things is really important because if we don't keep after the sort of new way of talking about it, people may use trigger, you know, use the proper peg words, but they still think, oh, but I wouldn't, you know, that's not, I can, I can fix it. Or what does she have to worry about? She's got this successful show. She's so gorgeous. She's, you know, living her best life. And you just think, that it's such, there's such a, a separation between how to really make, un, make people understand the reality of it. Yeah. You know, and yet there's this flip side, which is everybody's feeling anxious. You know, I mean, my, my therapist who I've had for, God, 30 something years, you know, she said, there's something happening right now. There's this collective anxiety. So you add that on top of, any of these layered things that trigger you or rabbit holes you go down. And what I wrote about in, in this book um, about depression was how smart it is because it's custom made and it's custom made for you and it's custom made for me and it fits perfectly. And all the questions you have to ask about it, it will answer just in your specific personality and circumstance. So you think, and it's true in that moment, no one can understand how you feel. So that's even more polarizing and isolating. And that to me was always a message that I thought, you know what? It's just genius because it's going to make perfect sense to you and it's going to be calm. Yeah. The friends that I have lost to suicide have never done it. There's three of you now, never achieved it in an explosive way. It was always quiet and away and removed and and that's the piece that I think you know as parents as friends when we see something my, my mother-in-law used to call it dead eyes and my husband will say to me you're starting to pull away you're starting to reverse zoom you're starting to get you're you're going over here and you're starting to look at the whole and you can feel it happening you know how would you personally wish that people um, reacted to you or treated you when you're struggling with depression? What would be something that you think would not make you go even darker or deeper? I think if someone and myself is really um, struggling with depression, the best thing to say is similar to what you said earlier, like that must be really hard for you. Do you want to talk about it? You know, or I'm here for you or or just even, hey, why don't I come over and cook tonight? Or you don't even have to like, it's not like let's have some big discussion about like serotonin in your brain. You know, it's just like you can get someone's mind off it. Or I think it's a great thing to make also make someone feel valuable. So if someone's really depressed and maybe they're great at organizing closets or like, hey, can you come over and watch my kids? Like she loves you or my dog really needs help. Or like, actually, like that's one of the best things you can do is make someone, I think, feel valuable and valued because what happens with many people 
And I know with me, when you start to get depressed, you just start to think, well, they won't really miss me or I probably don't really mean that much or I don't have a lot of value. I think especially for teenagers and preteens. And so it's important to make people feel that they do have importance and value. And it can be as simple as, you know what, can you come like do my hair, which sounds silly, but it actually makes a difference to people. It does. I was on the phone when I was going through, when I thought it was a good idea to go cold turkey off a certain medication about 18 years ago, because clearly I'm a doctor and I almost drove my car into the, to like on the highway, on the freeway into like a brick wall. And my girlfriend was like, Hey, could you, will you go to lunch with me at this place tomorrow? Cause I heard that they've got this really great quinoa. I don't know something yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. And I got so mad at first because I was like, God damn it. you're going to make, because you know, I'll show up. Yeah. You no, know I'll show up for a stupid lunch because I'm not going to want to, you know, stand you up. So now I can't, now I can't go into the wall. And it was so, it was so interesting because that's all she did. She knew enough to make a lunch appointment with me that I don't even think ever ha happened because I then, you know, called my doctor and whatever, but it is, I, I think, it's important what you said, because you're also saying you're not asking people to fix you or yeah. fix it, but you're being witnessed. And I think that that's, that's and heard and witnessed and seen. And because I used to think when I was at my lowest, I would think, oh my God, if I just can slip away, they're not even gonna, it's everything's gonna go on as normal, normally, you know, and life does go on. And and people had died in my life and life goes on and it's infuriating on one level. But when you're depressed, you think, oh, that's my out. Have you found multiple types of treatment work for you? And has it changed over the? It's interesting. A lot of times many SSRIs can stop working for someone and it can be really frustrating because you've been on Zoloft your whole life. Like I know Sarah Silverman, which was really cool, like talked about this a few years ago where Zoloft just stopped working for her. And she mm -hmm. didn't cry and it was awful because that was the one antidepressant that really worked. And that even happened with me where I've been on and off Wellbutrin and Zoloft throughout my life. And I had gone off it because it really wasn't working. But then I realized, no, I do need to be on this. And sometimes you don't realize you need, and by the way, when I went off it, I did it with my psychiatrist and, you know, very slowly, I don't recommend anyone just going off antidepressants. Like we're saying, culturally, it's I thought I would give myself a 50 year old birthday present by going off of it. And I thought I sort of weaned, but I, I thought, you know what, that's what I'm going to do for myself, which is just completely in Maine. And, you know, I can't say I was really present at my birthday party. Do you know what I mean? I also think that what, what's coming out of this, and, and I'll, I'll stop bugging you, but um, is that there are many different, but there's different ways in to help sure. move with and through your depression. Do you know? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I will. I think I may have been depressed as a little kid, but I think that I used humor and hard work and organizing and everything to just stay afloat. And it worked for me, you know? So I think what you're saying too, is there's many different methods, many different approaches. If you combine what you have available, but you've got to know that it takes time to find the right one and add other means of self-care. You know, I just thank you so much for being just so open about it and, and giving people sort of the freedom to be able to 
um, not feel alone and, and feel like they're heard and, and seen too. I know that you had a couple of questions that you wanted to ask me, so that yes. makes me switch it around. Well, when did you end up starting therapy? Because you, you said, I know as a child, you said that you, you feel like you were depressed, but you just kept busy. I kept busy and I was working. I was professional from the time I was like 11 months old. Then I had to do some family stuff with my mom at rehab. And that was sort of one of the first times that I like, you know, you had to talk to a therapist and that was, that was kind of like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. This person does not get me, but that was interesting at 13, you know? And then when I was out of college, I really started to feel like I was, um, I didn't, I was having big panic attacks and not, and not knowing who I was and looking at pictures in my past and then kind of saying, who am I? I don't know who I am. And my mom just sort of saying, of course you do. You know who you are. Right. You're, you're this, you know, and not knowing and not wanting to self-medicate or start drinking or anything like that. And it wasn't until I was in college, I started seeing a, a therapist who just was it was conversational she's predominantly Jungian but you don't really really feel it that way but there was this practicality in the way you know I never started taking medication until I until I got postpartum depression though oh. I didn't I never knew anything about the possibility of medication I I remember going on the pill for cramps and that changing my mood and me being completely just thrown by that. And then the doctor saying, oh, we'll just put you on a different pill. So it changed your mood, not positively. Not positively. And then one, then I went on another one, I think, and it actually just improved my energy and, and helped with the cramps. So that was the first time I'd ever taken any kind of, of medication. How long were you working on it or with your therapist until you felt like you found, oh, this works or you felt better? It took about, I want to say, honestly, it wasn't until sort of six months after the baby was born that I started to be able to combine going for a great long walk and, and sweating and getting sort of my adrenaline back up and, and whatever it is that's released. And, and then finding, I went through Paxil, Prozac, just so loft, you know, one made me sleepy. The other made me slur my words. The other one made me not be able to remember my lines. And so it was just this whole thing. And then I was on Wellbutrin alone and I was like, hi, how are you? <laughs> Good morning. I feel great. Maybe we're on a little yes. much of it. <laughs> I was like, I don't think this is good. And I looked down, my hands were clenched, but I was happy. And then I, and then I found the right combination um, of those two, plus a really great exercise um, routine. And oh, yeah, um, that's important. It, the combination of it really to me, I mean, I got extremely criticized when I even came forward and said I was taking medication and and it was such an interesting thing because it created such an, an, an outcry for yes. people to, to come to my aid and say, hey, listen, this can save lives. You know, it's not just about exercise and, and eating right. You know, it's a, I believe in a combination of East and West. My dad, you know, had cancer and if it wasn't for chemo and, and the therapy, he would have died earlier. You know what I mean? Oh, and so- absolutely. And I think sometimes when someone, especially a woman is the first person to do stuff, they'll get criticized way more than if it was a man to do something first. 
Well, we're not considered pioneers. You know, the man is considered the pioneer and we're considered like some crazy, you know, loud mouth complainer or something. <laughs> and it's crazy to think that this was just 2005 that we were publicly speaking about postpartum depression. It's not that long ago. No, I know. I When I looked at it, I thought, oh, this is going to be in like the late 90s or, mm-hmm. you know, or nine. And then I... Obviously, I remember hearing about that and and especially because it just was so public and he made it so public of Tom Cruise's criticism of psychiatry and medicine. And he ended up, you know, apologizing. And I was like, look, when you get some ovaries, you've come back and yeah. have a conversation with you. I would really, right. I will I'd be happy to discuss with you. What ended up happening was, I mean, people, women came to me in droves, just gave everybody a platform on which to stand. And I realized, okay, so this is, this is an opportunity and I have to try to find the most graceful um, way to have this um, be a, be for a good reason, like for a good purpose. And it just gave us, it, it, it brought the conversation so to the forefront that we weren't just randomly talking about something that happened to me. We were able to make it a bigger conversation. And so in a very odd roundabout way, it actually helped the cause, so to speak. When did you realize, is there a certain like aha moment oh, I, I have postpartum depression after you gave birth, you know, or did it, was it a gradual buildup? Cause I know some people will just have a moment where like, wait, what am I doing? This, I don't, I don't feel myself. I don't feel attached to the baby. No, I, I thought I was a terrible person. I thought I had, because I went through IVF seven times. I oh, thought okay. that I was the problem and clearly the universe does not want me to have children. And therefore I've made this huge mistake, brought this little thing into the world. I don't, get it. I don't feel anything for it. I don't recognize it. I don't want it to feed off me. Like it was just this really weird. I wanted to be as far away from just existing as possible. And I still didn't, when the doctor first, he said it was, he said it was a baby blues and sent me home and said, said yeah, he said it's the baby blues, they call it. And my husband's like, that's what you call like a cartoon. That's like so bizarre. And I said, I mean, they call it the, they call certain things the baby blues because right after you give birth, you sort of are depleted. You know, you go from having all of this, these hormones that are, make you feel sort of on top of the world in a way you lose them all immediately. I lost a lot of blood and there were so many other things that happened, but I didn't get it. And then he called me back a couple of days later and said, I hope you don't mind. I spoke to my wife. It's not, you know, client or patient doctor privilege, but she's a doula. And she said that everything that you're saying is really pointing towards postpartum. And I said, well, thank you all very much, but I'm not taking medication. I said, I've never taken medication before. I'm not going to take it now. I can, I can exercise and I can do all this and I've got to, you know, I'm going to power through this. Like I've powered through everything else in my life. And he then kept after me and begged me and I finally said, fine, I'll take medication and I'll prove to you all it doesn't work. Of course, I started feeling better, not because I was feeling elated, but because I started feeling normal. Was this your gynecologist or? or Um, It was the delivery, my delivery doctor. Okay. So then I went. At least this is a doctor that really cares and is Mm -hmm. followed up and admitted this wasn't just the baby blues. Yeah. I mean, my husband just also called the doctor and said, 
this is not normal. She is not, there's no light in her eye. She sits in the shower and for him to be so like attentive. He was helpless because he went out to go get a baby changing table because we didn't, we weren't prepared for anything. And he came back empty handed and he was like, what is wrong with you? He's like, mothers are talking to their babies and singing and laughing and, you know, smiling about, you know, what is wrong with what happened? You know, we've tried so hard for this. What is, I mean, I was going through this, I was taking Lupron the same time my dad was taking it. And it was so interesting because we were both really going through the same feelings, but for very different reasons. And it was so crazy, but you know, they don't tell you that, you know, and then to lose so much blood and need a transfusion, the combination of that, all the hormones that you're pumped with, I mean, they should have said something like, Hey, there's a chance you may feel really extra depressed or extra this, please contact us. I don't, I don't know if I would have, but you know, anyway. You know, and I I think there's this lack of education for women, even about their menstrual cycle. And it's it's actually comes out next week, our episode with Chelsea Leland, she's starting a company called Lumi, which is really interesting. And it's about teaching young girls and everyone, by the way, not just young girls. I think there's people 20s, 30s, 40s that still don't know why they have cramps and they have their period or have this or that. And it's, um, like, wouldn't it have been nice to know like why your FSH level is at, at 21 or how many eggs, you know, like you don't know that. And then I think it makes everyone feel crazy when you want a baby so bad, you know, and your body isn't cooperating. But there's, here's what here, I mean, let's sort of end with this, but um, what you're doing is so, so important and um, been better, how be you. That is what is, that is, that is what's written. Um, well, HBU, HBU, uh-huh. bro. But like, oh, so that's right. Okay. For how about you? How about you? So I said, okay, been better. How about you? Oh, but, the, but isn't it yeah, HBO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's HBO on the thing. Okay. Um, that is a podcast that everybody really should listen to. And I hope that you all listen to this podcast. I want to um, thank you, Katie, for being so open with us today. And you are really continuing a conversation that needs to be had and will really, it's going to make a difference. And the more we normalize, the, just the question asking mm-hmm. and the information given. So I think that that's what's really important. You're doing such amazing work and please check out Been Better, HBU, um, which tackles mental health and, and is so relatable. And it's just, it's, uh, it's really great. So I thank you for your time and for talking to me. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I love talking about this stuff and it is important. As you Good said. luck with everything else you're doing. I mean, you've pivoted in every which way beautifully and staying creative all along the way. And to me, that's what really being a performer and an actor and an yes, creative you. person. You know what? I'm, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep keep trying it all and, and keep working because yeah. they, say more, they say no to you and slam the door in your face so much more than they say yes. So I'm like, oh, you don't want me here? I'm going to go here. Yeah. So... Good luck with all of it. And thank you. Thank you. You too. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.